Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We've once again made it to Friday. It's the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis brought to you by a brand new sponsor, Theragun, today. Jim, let's get to our good martini. And you mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier in the week uh, when we were talking about the riots in Philadelphia. And it was not one of Wolf Blitzer's greatest moments. I'm not sure what would make his greatest moments, but uh, this was definitely not one of them. Uh, he's kind of echoing Joe Biden. Remember Joe Biden a couple of weeks ago saying, you should just shoot people in the leg if they're a physical threat to somebody's life or health. Uh, you don't need to shoot to kill. And so Wolf Blitzer asked that again, a former Philadelphia police commissioner, uh, Charles Ramsey, following the police-involved shooting earlier this week, where the person who was shot to death was uh, holding up a knife, refused to put it down, and moving towards police. And so Blitzer asked, why not shoot to injure? And here's the response he got from Ramsey. Walter Wallace had a knife, as we saw. <clears throat> One witness said, though, he had mental health issues. The district attorney said a report this uh, was, a, a medical, with it was a medical call was consistent with what they uh, know uh, so far. So could these officers have escalated the situation uh, if they obviously could have used tasers if they had tasers, but they didn't have tasers. But why shoot to kill as opposed to shoot to injure and just prevent anything from going further? Well, officers are trained to shoot at what we call center mass. Um, despite what you may see on TV, it's not easy to hit extremities and so forth, especially under stress. So officers are trained to shoot for center mass, not shoot to kill. Uh, but unfortunately, that does uh, happen. Uh, the uh, officers, I'm told, took him to the hospital uh, right afterwards to try to get some assistance for him. Unfortunately, he died. It's always a tragedy when anyone uh, loses their life. You know, now we have information that the officers may not have had when they responded. Again, did he have mental health problems? Well, after the fact, people start learning a lot more about it. But when you're at the scene and you've got an individual who's armed with a knife who's coming toward you, um, it's a whole different uh, type of situation. And the officers have to make uh, very quick judgments. I also like the fact that Wolf Blitzer expected the police to know at that moment that there were mental health issues, although I guess there had been multiple calls on this uh, person before, but I'm not sure it's always the same officers. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of uh, Wolf Blitzer's view of how police work happens and an actual police chief's view of how police work happens? Well, first of all, Greg, if we have to say Wolf Blitzer's greatest moments, I think number one would be his interview of Nancy Pelosi not that long ago, where <laughs> she just completely flipped out and concluded that he was an agent for the Republicans and all that stuff. Clearly. And secondly, you know, Wolf Blitzer's second greatest moment was his work with the Impossible Mission Force uh, <laughs> a couple movies ago. Uh, and perhaps it's from that experience, working with Tom Cruise and uh, the rest of the team, that he thinks you can shoot the gun out of somebody's hand or shoot them in the hand in order to disarm them and uh, something like that. We've made fun of Joe Biden for saying this, and we just kind of expect Joe Biden to say these kinds of wacky things. His advice to, to Jill to just shoot the gun out the window and hope for the best, you know, and things like that. But it's a little troubling how common this perception is. And I don't know if it's the, I used to see this on Kojak principle, uh, or just this idea that our, our cops are marksmen and they can put the bullet exactly where they want in a way that will wound the, the, the assailant but not kill them, uh, that there's no way you can die from being shot in the leg. If you, don't, if you believe that's the case, don't, you know, read about uh, the late Redskins safety, Sean Taylor, 
uh, was shot in the leg, hit an artery, and he bled out. You know, there's, when you are in this type of situation, we should just kind of, we, those of us who are laymen, those of us who are not in law enforcement, we have every right to hold the police accountable, but we also need to be realistic in our expectations of what happens once the bullets start flying. Um, if you have a knife and the police tell you to put down the knife, you really need to put down the knife. If you do not, something very bad may happen. That's, that's just baked in the cake. There is no perfect scenario where our police can disarm someone without any risk to themselves or without any risk to anyone else. You should not be charging at a police officer. Secondly, on the issue of mental illness, you hear that and it breaks your heart, but that doesn't make the assailant any less dangerous. That doesn't mean that the knife in their hand is any, you know, isn't capable of hurting people. And in fact, you look at these types of violent assaults of very many cases, you know, some sort of mental illness is at work there. It's tragic. It's one of the reasons people have been very upset about how we've handled mental health issues in this country for going back probably two generations. But you, you can't expect cops to be there and, and psychoanalyze these people and determine, hey, we have to treat this differently because he's mentally ill or something like that. At that moment, all the police knows is that there's a knife in that person's hand and there's a potential threat to somebody else or themselves. And, and that's just, it is deeply frustrating to see even people I think we think better of or we expect better of, like Wolf Blitzer, adding to this mentality that there's some sort of, you know, perfect trick shot that the police can pull off that will end with no, uh, no serious harm to anyone involved. Yes, yeah, so I always think of the Lone Ranger when it comes to uh, shooting the gun out of the other person's hand. But you mentioned Wolf Blitzer, and that's a good point, Jim. I mean, Wolf Blitzer has at least been at CNN for 30 years because he was reporting on the Gulf War, maybe before that, and I'm sure he reported somewhere before that. He's not some wet-behind-the-ears 23-year-old kid right out of journalism school. He's covered the news for a really long time. How does he not know this? Is it maybe a producer's writing his questions? Uh, he's just heard this narrative from the left now, especially since May, but, but even longer than that, the past few years of Black Lives Matter and so forth. So uh, how does a question like that even happen? I think it is this, one of the lessons we should take from every major bad problem we have faced in this in, as a country, whether you want to do it as, as terrorism and 9-11, whether you want to talk about uh, mass migration we've seen out of the region after the Syrian civil war, uh, great recession. There are very rarely circumstances in which we see a nice, simple, easy solution. Usually there's a bad solution or, or there's a complicated solution. And very often doing something is going to have some unexpected consequences. This is one of the reasons many of us are conservatives. Government programs tend to have some totally unexpected reaction that you know, either complicates things or makes things much worse. And I think everybody just wants that simple solution. You know, hey, there's somebody who's mentally ill with a knife on the street. We'd like to come up with a scenario in which that person is, the threat is contained. And the person with that knife in their hand, if they're mentally ill, that they don't die, that they don't get shot by police and, and die from, that, from being shot. That solution doesn't exist. We are living in an imperfect world with imperfect people and even cops are human beings. And they have to make decisions that are life and death in a very short time span. This is the reality of life. Even the great Wolf Blitzer, I guess, can succumb to this temptation of believing that because this is a really thorny problem, there must be some simpler, better solution of the cops having this special trick, you know, or why can't we give them phasers from Star Trek that will only stun the person instead of killing them or something like that? Look, the technology doesn't exist yet, and this, these are the options before us. Um, the temptation to imitate the eschaton, to build God's, you know, heaven on earth here is a, a seemingly timeless one, but unfortunately we have to realize we deal in the real world with imperfect people, and cops are human beings, and they're going to have to make decisions in very short time spans 
than of life and death consequences. And I think that thought is so scary to people, so unpleasant and, and frightening to people that they prefer to think that there's some sort of better, you know, imaginary option out there. Jim, would you say it's been a stressful year? <laughs> slightly, slightly stressful between everything happening with, uh, with George Floyd and uh, the protests and the destruction and obviously a worldwide pandemic that has had at least two, maybe three waves now here in the United States, depending on the different parts of the country. Uh, economic upheaval, although it had a nice bounce back yesterday, but we still got a long way to go. Lots of stress going on. The stress of daily life weighs on us just about all the time, but especially this year. And whether you're an elite athlete or just somebody trying to get through the day, and really this year, muscle pain and muscle tension is a real thing. That's why you should use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now, as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that is so quiet, you will wonder if it is on while you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. I cannot wait to try out the Theragun. My chiropractor has either a Theragun or something extremely close to it, and he has used it on me many times before. And let's just say I leave there feeling so much better, so much more relaxed, so much more put together. And to know that I get a chance to use that at home, it's going to be wonderful. You can try Theragun for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. It starts at only $199. Go to Theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun.com slash martini, Theragun.com slash martini. All right, let's talk about our bad martini now, Jim. And after... Democrats flocked to Joe Biden in the spring to avoid a Bernie Sanders uh, presidential nomination. Joe Biden, for some reason, decided he was going to make cozy with uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, maybe he thought that uh, not enough Bernie bros showed up for Hillary in 2016, and so it was a political calculation. But uh, he definitely moved to the left on a number of issues. More lately, he's tried to move himself back, especially after he saw that not responding uh, to riots in American cities wasn't good for his poll numbers back during convention season. But as we get closer and closer to Election Day, there's a lot of different things that voters need to weigh. One of them is who would be part of a prospective Trump second term or a Biden administration. And two far lefties are already making it known they really, really want to be part of a Biden cabinet. Bernie Sanders himself is one of them. Uh, a little over a week ago, Politico reported this one. Bernie Sanders is hoping to be part of Joe Biden's potential administration and has expressed a particular interest in becoming labor secretary. The former Sanders campaign manager, Baez Shakir, said Sanders has not talked directly with anyone in the Biden campaign about a future role, but plans to push Biden to include progressive voices in both the transition and a potential new administration. And of course, Jim, we already talked about the likely assault on the right to work if Biden is elected president. A Bernie Sanders as labor secretary would pretty much seal that deal. Oh, but there's more. Guess who else wants in from the far left wing? That's right, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren wants to be Joe Biden's treasury secretary 
and will make her case for it if he wins next week, according to three Democratic officials who have spoken with her inner circle. Warren allies say that the job is appealing because it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enact some of the big structural change she has talked about during the presidential primary, rather than just pressuring cabinet officials from her Senate perch. So, Jim, the idea of, you know, Bernie the Bolshevik and uh, Elizabeth Warren, of course, the busy body of your local homeowners association, having prominent roles in a potential Biden cabinet ought to be very chilling to every conservative. Yeah, we're going to know what kind of presidency we're going to get from Joe Biden really fast. Uh, And I think probably Treasury may well be the single most consequential one. And I think if you, you know, look, clearly there are a lot of Elizabeth Warren fans who want to see her at Treasury uh, starting early in a Biden administration. Uh, If Democrats control the Senate, that confirmation will be easy. If it's 50-50 or if it's a... uh, uh, Republicans keep control, then maybe that might block a, a Warren uh, uh, stint in, in the Treasury Secretary. Um, I, I think, you know, if you do that, I think Wall Street will feel like, oh my goodness, we have an enemy in the Treasury Department, and it will probably be a drag on the economy for the entirety of the Biden presidency. But clearly, that will set the tone very, very early. I'm a little intrigued to hear Bernie Sanders wants out of the Senate and to be Labor Secretary, because Labor Secretary has traditionally not been seen as an enormously influential, you know, plum spot. It's not a stepping stone to anywhere. But I guess when you are approaching 80 years old, as Bernie Sanders is, you're not looking for a stepping stone anywhere. You're looking for a place to take your ideas and make them reality and regulation. And I think the Department of Labor would indeed give Bernie Sanders a lot of opportunity to enact his capital S or small s socialist vision for the country. Now, the other intriguing thing about that, I would urge people, if you really want to get a sense of how Washington works, after he finished his stint as Secretary of Labor, Robert Reich, um, you know, who's still remained active in Democratic circles, writes at Huffington Post, Robert Reich's autobiography of his years in the Clinton cabinet, titled Locked in the Cabinet, is a blunt, often really funny, and just brutally honest thing, a description of life as a cabinet secretary and exactly what you control as a cabinet secretary, which in Robert Reich's case was not much. It's, you know, he describes going to cabinet meetings and losing arguments to, uh, to Lloyd Benson, who was treasury secretary. Uh, he did not feel like he had the ear of Bill Clinton. He felt like Bill Clinton largely ignored him. Um, he felt he got lost in his own building. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. And so I don't know if Bernie Sanders would find being Secretary of Labor the, the, the grand power trip, the, the fulfillment of all his wants and dreams that he expects. Um, but nonetheless, you know, Bernie Sanders having a, a cabinet position is probably another indicator that uh, the Biden presidency would not be nearly as centrist as many people seem to want to believe it would be. I think Bernie would change it to Secretary of the Proletariat. There you go. I was going to say, you know, secretary of the working class. Uh, now Biden, I'm secretary of the people. <laughs> now Biden has said he's looking at possibly having Republicans in his cabinet if he is elected. Uh, and the one name I saw mentioned, of course, was John Kasich. So, Jim, I'm sure that's just going to make uh, anybody who's on the fence flock to Joe Biden next week, right? Greg, I'm going to lean in real close to the microphone so everyone can hear this. That is my reaction to John Kasich getting a cabinet position. Uh, 
you know, anyway, Trump interrupted it, but there had been this tradition of you try to find one or two people in the other party and you give them kind of a lower tier position. Norman Mineta in the Bush administration, uh, Ray LaHood in uh, the Obama administration. I think they were both Secretary of Transportation. Nobody's putting the big names in Secretary of State or Defense or Treasury or, or, or things like that. But it's generally seen as a, you know, olive branch or good faith gesture. And generally some, you know, position like Secretary of Transportation usually isn't enormously partisan. It sounds like the sort of, the sort of thing Biden would like to do. I don't think it makes a huge difference, though, if John Kasich is in there or if he picks, I'd seen, you know, Charlie Baker get mentioned, Susan Molinari, any of these, you know, real old school Republicans who uh, uh, clearly aren't Trumpy, clearly are a little more amenable to working with Democrats. But in the end, uh, you know, I just don't see, um, you know, Homeland Security would be significant. Uh, obviously, defense, for, you know, Secretary of State, any of those jobs, you appoint a Republican, that would be a big deal. But I'm not really expecting big things for Republicans in the Biden cabinet. If I could have the John Kasich from the 90s, I'd like to have him as budget director. Mm. Um, but ultimately... Oh, that, that guy's gone. That's, you know... <laughs> he's long gone. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, he's going to end up as postmaster general, right? <laughs> His dream job. Of course, all of this is only if Biden actually wins, which is uh, very much away from a foregone conclusion. So your vote will actually make the difference. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. Anyway, let's move on to our crazy martini. And Jim, it just is impossible to be nice anymore. Amy Coney Barrett, it seems like a few weeks ago now, but it was actually just Monday that she was confirmed to be an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Uh, you would think that people would love to see another woman breaking through the glass ceiling. I guess it's been broken already in the Supreme Court, but uh, not for a conservative woman, unless you count Sandra Day O'Connor. And so she's on the Supreme Court. She's only the fifth woman ever to do this. And so the Girl Scouts of America put out a tweet, but it didn't go well for them. USA Today, a tweet by the Girl Scouts congratulating new Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett drew such outrage from Barrett critics that the youth organization swiftly deleted it only to draw a new backlash from Barrett supporters. The original tweet, posted Wednesday evening, said, quote, Congratulations, Amy Coney Barrett, on becoming the fifth woman appointed to the Supreme Court since its inception in 1789. The post featured an image of Barrett, who was confirmed Monday and sworn in at the court on Tuesday, along with currently serving Justices Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, and Barrett's predecessor, the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Post was quickly attacked by critics who view Barrett, a conservative, as a potential threat to civil liberties and women's rights. Quote, what kind of patch does one earn for uplifting a woman who is the antithesis of justice, tweeted U.S. Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. She's part of the squad. Actor Amber Tamblin tweeted that the Girl Scouts post is, quote, really disappointing and won't age well when access to safe abortion and the health care needs of millions of women and girls is gutted in this country because of Barrett's addition to the court. Actor Zach Braff was among numerous people who tweeted about seeking alternatives 
to Girl Scout cookies due to disenchantment with the Barrett posting. As the online criticism mounted, the Girl Scouts deleted their original tweet and posted a new statement. Earlier today, we shared a post highlighting the five women who have been appointed to the Supreme Court. It was quickly viewed as a political and partisan statement, which was not our intent, and we have removed the post. Girl Scouts of the USA is a non-political, non-partisan organization. We are neither red nor blue, but Girl Scout green. We are here to lift up girls and women, and not to be outdone, the Kappa Delta sorority to which Amy Coney Barrett belonged put out a congratulatory message when she was confirmed. They have also had to retract it because of all the backlash. So, Jim, remember when we were supposed to not only believe all women, but champion all women? As usual, it's only women from the left that are supposed to get that sort of acclamation. Greg, who the hell cares what Zach Braff thinks? <laughs> I, I vaguely recognize the name, and I'm really curious about how many people, how many listeners right now, without Googling, remember who Zach Braff is. Hint, <laughs> it was not the character on Futurama. Zach Braff was the guy from Scrubs, which I believe went off the air was it Bush administration? Obama administration? It was a long while ago. Garden State, kind of a funny movie, but you know, back when, you know, with Natalie Portman, that was a decade ago, I want to say. He's just some guy. He's Miles Teller. Actually, no, Miles, Ta- Miles Taylor, whoever that guy is. You know, why are you in fear of these people? By the way, keep in mind, it was not a tweet saying we endorse Amy Coney Barrett. It was not a tweet saying, Amy Coney Barrett is that they celebrated all five women who'd been on the Supreme Court. It was not saying these are the best. It was just saying, hey, here's role models for women. I just want some institution when they get confronted by some celebrities and the woke social justice, you know, social media mob to just say, no, no, we want to celebrate these people. We're going to celebrate these people. Go pound sand. We're the Girl Scouts. We're not afraid of you. People are addicted to our cookies. Like, bigger than cocaine. You can't, we're not afraid of Zach Braff. We're not afraid of Amber Tamblyn. We're, if we want to say congratulations to somebody, we're going to say congratulations to somebody. We are not going to knuckle under because a lot of people on Twitter are mad at us. Because you know what? That group of people on Twitter are just looking for people to get something to get mad about every single day. You know what they can do to you? Nothing. They're not going to boycott, boycott Girl Scout cookies. They're not going to take their daughters out of the program. They are people who are obsessed with every little thing and cannot celebrate even something as mundane to, hey, look at these Supreme Court justices. I am desperate to see some institution say, no, I will not knuckle under to you. I'm not the one with the problem. You're the one with the problem. It's a good note to end the weekend, head into a weekend, Greg. Uh, and you know what? No matter who wins, this isn't going to stop. That's the uh, really depressing part. So, Jim... Let's have some fun this Halloween. Uh, we are going as the Peanuts gang. Uh, I will be Charlie Brown. I'm not shaving my head. I'm not that committed <laughs> to the project. Uh, my wife is Lucy, who has the dark hair, but not the personality, thankfully. Uh, and my girls are Snoopy and Sally. So uh, hopefully it's a uh, safe Halloween trick-or-treating season for everyone. How about over at the Garrity House? I will not be dressing up, Greg, but in order to uh, honor the required social distancing rules and requirements and regulations here in Authenticity Woods, I will have a big bag of candy and I'll be throwing them at children. Uh, so, so work on your dodgeball skills, kids, because, you know, I'm aiming for the head. Everybody have a safe Halloween. Don't forget about our good friends over at Theragun. 
theragun.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast. Also, we're always grateful for a kind review and a five-star rating. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch.